The final Medicare and Medicaid bill passed both houses of Congress by an overwhelming vote. President Johnson signed the bill making it the law of the land July 30th, 1965 in Independence, Missouri, in the presence of former President Truman. Later, President Johnson helped President Truman sign up for the voluntary part of Medicare. They told me, President Truman, that if you wish to get the voluntary medical insurance, that you'll have to sign this application form. And they asked me to sign as your witness. So you're getting special treatment since cards won't go out to the other folks until the end of this month. But we wanted you to know, and we wanted the entire world to know, that we haven't forgotten who is the real daddy of medicine. I'm Cheryl Ackeson. Welcome to Washington Unplugged. Former President Lyndon B. Johnson passed Medicare legislation in just a little more than six months from his inauguration. While his party held both houses in Congress, much like today, many felt his inside negotiations and political savvy sealed the deal. We'll have a discussion about how President Obama's health care cause could benefit from lessons of the president's past. But first, listen how recordings of LBJ tell the story of Medicare legislation. Execute. I will faithfully execute. It was 1965. President Johnson had been elected in a landslide. He made Medicare, hospital coverage for the elderly, a top priority. I'll spend the goddamn money. I may cut back some tanks, but not on health. Johnson pushed Medicare and Medicaid like his life depended on it. He said that when John Kennedy died, it was up to him to make Kennedy a martyr. And the causes he picked for the martyred president are civil rights, Medicare, and Medicaid. Like today, Democrats held a majority in Congress, yet sweeping national health care was far from assured. One of Medicare's toughest opponents was conservative Southern Democrat Wilbur Mills, who fretted about the cost and idea of socializing medicine. It was Mills who led the powerful committee that controlled the fate of any Medicare bill, and Mills who'd blocked Kennedy's Medicare efforts. He didn't hesitate to raise the issue of cost with President Johnson. The only thing I'm concerned about, and I'm very frank about it, is that there's about $450 million in this bill out of the general funds of the Treasury for which you haven't budgeted your, uh, your uh, situation. Uh, yeah, but I'll, I'll take care of that. I'll do that. Johnson prodded Mills relentlessly and finally won his support, offering, then giving him full credit. I want to ask Chairman Mills now to uh, make a brief statement concerning this program that his committee's worked out. Johnson knew he also had to woo conservative Democrats in the Senate, led by Dick Russell. In a phone call with newly elected Senator Ted Kennedy, Johnson told Kennedy it was important to control the message on cost, lest Senator Russell find out. My health program yesterday runs $300 million, but the fools had to go to projecting it down the road five or six years. And when you project it the first year, it runs $900 million. But the first thing Dick Russell comes running in and says, my God, you've got a billion-dollar program for next year on health, therefore I'm against any of it now. Do you follow me? Right, right. Now, we don't want to stir up any more hornets, and we have to. He 
thought that if people knew the full cost of Medicare, it would never have passed. And he kept trying to lowball the estimates. There was powerful opposition outside of Congress, too, some of which was viewed as inevitable by the president and his key aide on Medicare. What are the insurance companies? they still raising hell? Well, mad? yes, I think they're going to go over to the Senate and raise uh, hell uh, on the uh, thing, because quite, uh, quite frankly, uh, there's no longer any room for the private insurance companies to sell insurance policies for people over 65 when you take the combination of hospital care and the uh, physician service. Yeah, okay. I think that's wonderful. With Johnson's near-daily involvement from start to finish, Medicare was passed and signed into law a little more than six months after his inauguration, July 30th, 1965. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Single Payer Radio. We're a project of Kentuckians for Single Payer Healthcare, and we are an affiliate of the Kentucky Chapter of Physicians for a National Health Program. We're a long-standing community partner with Forward Radio WFMP LP 106.5. Hey, maybe your group would... Uh, uh, please consider becoming a community partner. You can go to forwardradio.org and learn how you can become a partner and the different levels. I'm Mark McKinley. I'm a volunteer with the group. And the views and opinions expressed on single-payer radio, they are those of the speakers and not the station. Today's broadcast, well, we're going to the streets. It's a report from the July 24th rally in March in support of Medicare for All. We celebrated Medicare's 56th birthday with a little pizza and cake as well. A hundred or so folks joined in, including Forward Radio's K.A. Owens and Jim Johnson. Great job, everybody. Kay Tillo starts us off with some opening remarks, followed by the amazing Ann Hagen Grigsby. Ann is CEO of Park Duval's Community Health Centers. The country, so. <laughs> so it's gonna make a difference because we're standing together to insist that our nation finally come up to the standards that it should be at and provide health care as a human right to every single person in the country. <laughs> and to do that, we've got to remove the profits and get a single-payer national improved Medicare for all plan. So we are asking that our Congress support that and make that happen so that we can save innumerable lives. So thank you for being here. You are the hope uh, that it can be done and that if Americans in their huge numbers insist that we should be able to make this happen. So we have um, 21 organizations that are co-sponsoring this rally in March. And we are grateful for that. That's a very broad group of unions and uh, civil rights and religious organizations and others. 
So, I uh, would like to introduce our first speaker, if I can find where she is. Um, and <laughs> we will find her when I call for her. Yes. Uh, our first speaker is a dear friend of single payer, a dear friend of everyone who wants to bring health care to everyone. She is the president and the CEO of the Park Duval Community Health Center, and she works tirelessly to bring as much health care as she can to communities across our city. And uh, you know, those who are charged with giving health care in a broken health care system have a difficult job, and she does it as well as anyone else could possibly do, and we're so glad to have her with us today. Yes. Now, injustice in healthcare is the most inhumane and shocking. But growing up, I was a foster kid and I was adopted, and my foster mother who adopted me had a family of sharecroppers, didn't have access to healthcare, she wasn't educated, she didn't learn to read until she was an adult, and she died before the age of 65 because someone told her that the way to treat her arthritis was to drop sewing needles into apple cider vinegar, let it dissolve, and rub it into your skin. And she gave herself hepatitis, and she died before 65. But it was because she didn't have access to quality health care. She didn't have health insurance. She didn't have a way to get the treatment she needed. And then we say, oh, that was a long time ago. This woman, I'm 71 years old. It's still happening today. It still happens all over our country. We treat people every day who are at all levels of poverty, 100% and up, who don't have access to the health care they need when they need it. Sure, my health clinics can provide quality care. We're a national quality leader. But what, what happens when you need a surgeon? What happens when you need all the medications that you can't afford? We can provide some, but not all. There is no way that people get what they need in this country if we don't change the health care system, where we stop putting profits before people. Yeah. I had a preventative colonoscopy screening. Okay, too much information, but I had one. and. I looked to see how much would it cost me in Canada. And the, the prices came up between $157 to $9,900, to $9, depending upon where you looked. I got my bill last week from a local hospital, and it was $19,600 for a colonoscopy. Now, I'm blessed. My insurance covered most of it, so I have to pay about $1,600, a little bit more than that. But how many people have $1,600 to put out of their pocket for a screening test that could save your life? Our system is broken. Until we as a people decide to tell members of Congress and tell everyone that the system is broken and we won't take it anymore, it will not change. I've probably gone over time. But it's broken for employers. Employers shouldn't have to break, break the bank to provide health care insurance for their employees. 
employees shouldn't have to choose what kind of health care plans they can afford to take. We shouldn't have to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars in infrastructure costs just to do the billing with all the multiple insurance companies that we have to deal with and the multiple plans all of those insurance companies have. The system is broken. We need to put people before profits. Okay, call on Ann <laughs> if you need someone to speak. I'd just like to ask a question. Is Greg Tishner here? He is. Okay, um, I, he is next. Perhaps before we get to that, would you like to hear all of the organizations that are co-sponsoring this event? Yeah. Okay, we started it up. That's Kentuckians for Single-Payer Healthcare. And also the Physicians for National Health Program in Kentucky. And these are in the order in which they signed on. <laughs> Next was the Kentucky Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression. Then the Greater Louisville Central Labor Council. Then the Independent Seekers. <laughs> Then the Movement for a People's Party, Kentucky. The Clifton Universalist Unitarian Church. The Kentucky Alliance for Retired Americans. The Metro Disability Coalition. The United Auto Workers Local 862. The Central Kentucky Council for Peace and Justice. The Ann Braden Institute for Social Research, the Carl Braden Memorial Center, the Association for the Study of African American Life and History, La Casita Center, the Louisville Fellowship of Reconciliation, Fairness, Louisville Showing Up for Racial Justice, the Kentucky State AFL-CIO. LIUNA, that's the Laborers International Union of North America, Local 576. And the Lexington DSA. So thanks, thanks to all of those groups for making this possible. And I'd now like to introduce Greg Tishner who is a member of the board of the Kentucky Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression. Thank you, Kay. Um, Greg Tichner, G-R-A-G-T-I-C-H-E-N-O-R. I am out here today in support of single-payer health care because everything is intersectional. We must recognize any system in place that restricts human basic human rights is a system that must be abolished. I remember celebrating a national health care system that was passed under Barack Obama. It expanded health care coverage to millions who did not have access before the law was passed. And health care for more is certainly better than health care for less. But can we truly 
afford to stop until we have health care for all if we claim to be supporters of human rights. <clears throat> if we accept health care for most, aren't we normalizing secondary citizenship? Aren't we accepting a false narrative that we simply don't have enough for all? When I look at the existing American systems of health care, criminal justice, education, environmental contamination, policing, housing, workers' rights, food access, transportation, LGBTQ rights, there's a common theme. We as a society have accepted some people as disposable. When minority populations consistently have disproportionately adverse outcomes in all these societal systems, it suggests that we as an American democratic society and government are okay with pain being inflicted on people of color and poor people disproportionately. So where does that put us on the scale of compassion, if we're truly honest? The time has come for the people's voice to be heard. Money interests cannot be louder than the people's interests in D.C., in Frankfurt, or here in Louisville. Would you raise your hand if you've got your national legislators' phone numbers plugged into your phone, please? If you don't have your hand up, would you please, sometime today, reach out and get those plugged into your phone? We need people's voices to be heard. Our elected officials, officials need to hear from us, and then they need to take the voices, we need to take the people's voices into the ballot boxes. Georgia has shown us what a people's mobilization can do. Voting matters. Voting rights must be protected. A week ago today, we held a memorial for John Lewis. Uh, uh, one week ago, or he had passed. And we're asking people to commit to make calls to their national legislators. Let them know that you want them to support single-payer health care for all. Let them know that we have to protect voters' rights. The For the People Act, the John Lewis Voter Advancement Act, and D.C. statehood are all examples of where we need to empower people to vote. I've got two quick example, uh, announcements of things coming up this week. This Tuesday, the JCPS board will be uh, holding their uh, regular meeting. Uh, this month it is at Central High School. Uh, at 5.15 that evening, we are going to have a press conference in support of teaching racial equity in our district. We'd love to see you out. I do also want to mention down the road, mark your calendars for August 21st. The Kentucky Alliance will be hosting a community festival for all ages in Shawnee Park. Uh, thanks for your time. Can I do a quick, uh, let's get things uh, amped up for a rally here? I'm going to say people power, you say yes. Money power, you say no. People power. Yes. Money power. No. People power. Yes. Money power. No. People power. Yes. Money power. No. Thank you. Thanks, Greg. Thank you, Greg. I'd now like to introduce 
the president of the Metro Disability Coalition. Uh, they are involved in a struggle now to get equality in transportation rights. TARC is not, TARC 3 is uh, delaying and there are people who are left without the ability to get to their doctor's appointments and other places. So we support them in that. They had a rally last weekend on that. And this is the president of the Metro Disability Coalition. His name is Marcellus Mays. You're about uh, closer. Okay. Uh, Maybe another close. foot. Yeah. Okay. Knock it over. You're about you to go. get to the. That's okay. good. Don't get too close. You can take the mask off yeah. if you want. Okay. 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 Yes, I'm Marcellus Mays, and I'm here representing Metro Disability Coalition. I just came to say a few words today in support of single payer health care. But what I would like to say as a, as a blind American and Kentuckian, I do love uh, God and God loves me as an American. And what I do say, and the question for me today, being here, does America love me? And what I will say, with the people that I represent, people with multiple sclerosis, muscular dystrophy, Parkinson's disease, developmental disabilities, stroke patients, cerebral palsy, we are pre-existing conditions. Nobody wants to care for people like me and like those people. And so adequate single-payer health care is essential and necessary for people like me and others that I associate with. We're not asking for a handout, we're just asking for a hand up. And every American in the greatest country in the world that I believe that we live in, we as Americans should all look to each other. Nobody should be treated differently, whether you're gay, straight, disabled, or otherwise. We are Americans. We need to stay together. And if we truly believe in what they say in America, in the military, when you are fighting, in a war, and this is a salvation effort in the Salvation Army that we're dealing with. And I would say this, nobody should be left behind. And healthcare should be a basic right for all. And that's what we need here in America. And I just, in, 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 in ending, because I want to stay consistent and be holding on to the three minutes, but what I would like to say, I, I did hear a great sermon this past Sunday, and I know one of the things that was mentioned was about time, justice, and mercy. It's time for us to get adequate health care for all. It is the just thing for all Americans to have health care and have access, affordable health care in this nation. We claim to be compassionate city and all the rest, but there are so many people being left behind, disabled persons, people of color, gay people, and everybody else. But we as Americans need to stand together, put our hands out. And, and if you really care about us as Americans, Louisvillians, and Kentuckians, you need to show us some grace and mercy and provide us with single-payer health care. Thank you. All right.
I love it. Grace and mercy and single-payer health care. Uh, I'd like to introduce um, a person who is a physician and also has a master's in public health. And she is coordinator of health empowerment at La Casita, which is a center here in uh, our city that does so much good work. And her name is Patricia Bautista Severa. Buenos dias, good morning to all. I'm a community liaison and also coordinate health empowerment initiatives at the Casita Center, where as many um, of you know, we accompany the Spanish speaking Latino community and immigrants in this city, whom for the most part are low income families. Today I'm here to represent La Casita Center in support of a single payer national healthcare system that would provide everyone with comprehensive um, coverage regardless of their ability to pay. This system would cover all necessary medical care. Our country is in need of this fundamental re reform. We are in dire need of healthcare that is affordable, accessible, equitable, that offers better quality attention, is sufficient at a lower co cost for people living in this country with greater attention to preventive medical care, not only treating the sick. Why is La Casita Center advocating for medical, uh, medical, Medicare for all? This year, this past year, well, these last 18 months, the need of healthcare insurance by so many families has really, really never been more important. The community we serve is composed of essential workers, restaurant, factory, cleaning services, construction, yard work. All these workers have continued to work at their job sites. Many have been exposed to the very contagious virus and so many families had suffered firsthand the pandemic at home. The pandemic has brought for those affected an increase in medical bills, but also lost income or the loss of jobs due to the economical crisis that we're going through. Most of them don't even have health uh, healthcare insurance. Even before the pandemic, middle and low income families were confronting huge medical debts. Many to the degree to be pushed to declare medical bankruptcy if a member of the family had a severe health problem. According to a recent report, the debt owed to collection agencies by Americans stemming from medical care, it's about $140 billion. What I have described represents an enormous problem for all, but imagine if we make it worse by adding several layers of barriers such as language, culture, education, income, or the history of confronting traumatic events. And you know what I mean. The current healthcare system prevents certain populations from seeking medical care. In our community, we have witnessed hesitancy to access care such as COVID-19 testing or vaccination. And this is due to the fear of incurring medical debt. Our organization has had the opportunity to work on addressing some of these layers. 
and to be instrumental in our city's COVID response, developing collaborations with not only Louisville Metro government, the health department, Family Health Center, and, and other organizations that are amazing partners that have trusted our work, leadership, and our deep love and commitment for our community. Through these partnerships, La Casita Center has been able to organize seven successful clinics for vaccination within the Latinx community. We have distributed 1,169 vaccines, and we have demonstrated that accessibility empowers people to care for their families and their own health. We have also been able to accompany just in 2020, 994 COVID positive patients that only speak Spanish. We provide to them medical information, guidance, basic needs at food pantry items or hygienic items, medicines for pain. Imagine having fever and pain and you don't even have Tylenol at home or nobody else that could care for, for to provide it. So we know help is a human right. Let's keep working together to achieve this common goal. Thank you. We have a great coalition. And now, from the union movement, I'd like to introduce the president of the Kentucky State AFL-CIO. His name is Bill Londrigan. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you all out here today. Before I say anything else, let me just, uh, I want to recognize Kay Tillow, and I want to thank her for her tireless work on promoting the cause of single-payer health care for all Americans. You know, with Kay's assistance and her diligent work, and I have worked together on getting organized labor on board with single-payer across the United States. And Kay and I have worked together contacting these organizations, and mostly she has done the work. And as of a while back, we haven't compiled our list lately, we had over 607 union organizations on board with single-payer. We have 146 central labor councils and 43 state federations supporting single-payer. And I am really proud to say that the Kentucky State AFL-CIO was the first state organization to support single-payer. So well, I'm so proud to be here today and let everybody know that organized labor wants everybody to have health care because we believe that it is a human right. Yeah. You know, when we go to the bargaining table, obviously we work on several different issues, retirement, security, safety and health, wages, and what else? Health care. It is a constant problem. It's totally always on the table and we're always having to decide whether we can get a pay increase or put more money into our health care plans because the costs continue to skyrocket. What we want to do is take health care off the table. We want to get better wages and better working conditions and better retirement security for people and have health care for everybody. And that is the goal that we have uh, put ourselves to, to make sure that across America, workers, all workers, low-income people, people of color, everybody has access to health care because it is, again, a human right. Yeah. 
and we are absolutely tired of this corrupt system which is based on greed. It doesn't make sense for us to have a system based on greed where people's health care, their lives are, are concerned. It doesn't even make any sense. And we need to take that profit motive out. We need to stop paying CEOs tens of millions of dollars. We need to stop these corporations from lowering the benefits, denying people care, and going back to this whole notion of these pre-existing conditions so they can continue to deny care to people of America. This is wrong. And that's why our cause is so positive and so great. And that's why this group coming together with all these different coalitions is so important. You know, before Congress now, we have so many big and important transformative pieces of legislation. We have our infrastructure bill. We have our American Families Plan, the American Jobs Act. And we, for the labor movement, we have the PRO Act to try to make it better and easier for workers that want to organize and have that opportunity to do so. So we have a whole bunch of stuff on the table right now, and we want to put health care for all, single-payer, Medicare for all, on the table and get everybody to support this and get it through Congress so that we can transform this nation into one that stands with people instead of trying to deny them this basic right. So everybody wants you to all stand together here, and I want to just say Medicare for all, and why don't we just chant once or twice, Medicare for all. Medicare for all. Now, Medicare for all. Now, Medicare for all. Now, God bless. Thank you very much, and we will win. Thank you, Kay. I love Kentucky. <laughs> um, our next speaker is a member of the steering committee of Kentuckians for single-payer health care. He is also a minister. His name is Reverend Ron Robinson, and we're so happy to have him with us today. will only be a few minutes. I stand here on behalf of all people in America. This is a national issue. I spoke with Dr. Garrett for a moment. I said, how long have you and Sister Kay been doing this. He said 2003. 2003 minus 2021, if my mathematics is correct, that's 18 years. 18 years in a war. You've been in a war, a war of consciousness over against the immorality and a pushback ethic. The power elite has elevated itself and continues to elevate itself. And therefore, the emergency rooms in America should not become the primary care offices for poor people. 
And it, as long as we see that, then we know that the inequity exists. And how many politicians have we sent to Washington that were supposed to speak on your behalf as good abiding Americans? Too many is correct. I want to say to you in these few moments, we are at war. It may not be with bullets, but it's with the pushing of the pen across legislation, paper, and reform. And that reform is pertaining to health care for all. One day, I was going to get my med, and I'll be through. And there was this man, very frail and everything, he had tools all up in him. And uh, he said, sir, can you help me get my medicine? I didn't ask him what was going on with him. But he said, I need help to get my medicine. I can't spend the money I have to buy food with, because if I buy food with the money that, to buy my medicine, then I won't have nothing to eat. I gave him what I could give him. And when I came back, I had to stop in Walgreens again, and there he was trying to get his medicine. And eubonically, I'm going to say, that ain't right. Something is wrong. And I say that you are the foot soldiers of consciousness. And I say that when the war is won, then the disenfranchised will have access to Medicare. I say that when this war is won, all people, irrespective of who they are, will have access to Medicare. I'll say to you that when the war is won, everybody would be able to go and say, doctor, I need help. And the doctor won't say, how much insurance do you have? Like John Lewis said, I want you to say with me, we're going to make good trouble. Say that. Good trouble. Making good trouble. Making good trouble. Making good trouble. We will stand. We will stand. We will stand. We will stand. Making good trouble. Thank you, Ron. Um, I would just like to note that there are some people that came a long way to be with us today. There are two union brothers who drove from Evansville to be with us, and I'd like for you to just hold up your hand and let people see you. Thank you for your dedication and for coming down to be with us. I think one's an electrician and uh, local 808. Okay, so we thank you for coming. We also have people that have come here from Lexington, the group from Lexington. Thank you for making the trip to be with us. And our, our next speaker is uh, uh, another union person. <laughs> Uh, he is the president of the Kentucky Alliance uh, for Retired Americans and is doing tremendous work in organizing seniors and getting 
them active in the fights that lie ahead for all of us. And we're proud to have him with us to say a few words. His name is Kirk Gillenwaters. Thank you, Kay. Thank you so much, Kay. You know, we've heard already so many good speakers here today. We've also heard the words of the active workers from our state fed president from Bill Lungergan. I'm here today representing the retired Americans across the state of Kentucky right here. All of our AFL-CIO retirees, we are the representatives and the voice for working families out here at the time of your senior time and quality time of your life. One of the most important things, by us being unionized, we've all been receiving the benefit of a defined medical benefit program for us. But once again, we've heard about the PIN. The PIN works two ways, in executive orders to be able to give and executive orders to be able to take away. So what we have to worry for those of us that are in fixed incomes as retirees, even though we are blessed with having the quality of life that we have, we know that this can be reversed and taken away with just a stroke of the pen by denying us our secondary health care. Yeah. I was very fortunate years ago with Kay. The UAW Local 862 was one of the very first local UAW unions to join up with Medicare for All. <laughs> about, 20 some, about 20 years ago, I think, Kay. Yeah. Well, we're showing our age, okay? <laughs> but here's the thing. We're talking about the profits in, medic in, in medicine and all. You look at the top providers that manages our health care. Humana, $471 per share stock yesterday. United, $417. Sit, uh, the uh, Blue Cross Blue Shields, $387. That's the profit off of our back, so the benefits that we're supposed to be having by, by the profit that they're taking out of our health care. This is what we're fighting for, and this is what we're asking for change. Remember that we will be, continue to be a voice out there for all workers, but for, for the best part, hopefully we're fighting the fight so you younger people out here working today, that someday you'll have that same opportunity we have, is to have a quality of life by having health care and good pensions. Thank you very much. Okay, um, I'm going to call on the next speaker, and uh, he is our last speaker here, and then we are going to uh, get uh, instructions for how we make our walk to uh, honor Breonna Taylor in the square downtown. Um, as he comes forward, I just wanted to say something about one of the things that's in the way of health care is that the insurance companies have the view that if you go to the doctor and you get care, or if you go to the hospital, that you are doing too much of that. And that their job is to keep you from going to the doctor or from getting the care, and that's why they put the co-pays and the deductibles in your path to keep you from going there. Those are barriers that stop preventive care. They are wrong, they are criminal, and they're gonna be removed when we have a national single-payer healthcare system. Okay, now uh, I'm uh, honored to introduce uh, my mentor and the founder of Kentuckians uh, no, Physicians for a National Health Program, Kentucky. 
He is the former president of the National Organization, Physicians for a National Health Program. He has done so much over so many years to lead this movement in Kentucky. He is a retired pediatrician, and of course you know he's into infectious diseases and stopping them in their tracks. Dr. Garrett Adams. Thank you, Kay. Oh. Just point it that way and you'll be fine. Okay, just step over to the left. Step over to the left. Okay. Thank you. Oh, okay. All right, how's that? All right. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. We have a great crowd. And thank you, Kay. Uh, let me tell you, you've just been listening to one of the national leaders in health policy strategy throughout the United States. Kay, we think a lot of Kay, and we uh, appreciate, and we've all learned from Kay, but <clears throat> her voice now is throughout the country. She writes, and she's called on to give her opinion. She's now on the strategy committee for the physicians for our national health program. A little closer. Okay, all right. So it's an honor and a privilege. Honor and a privilege to be with you today as we join together across this great country to celebrate Medicare's 56th birthday. Personally, I am extremely grateful for Medicare. I can tell you that with you young folks with advancing age, the necessity of health care becomes very important and expensive. But Medicare is under attack by forces wishing to privatize it to profit, to profit even more from your need for health care. We can't let that happen. Kay is working on that. But we recently celebrated Juneteenth, 1865, the day honoring the end of slavery in the United States of America, the end of the despicable practice of buying and selling people as commodities, trading people as a business. That happened. Today, all Americans are once again under the thumb of people who want to profit from us. The medical industrial complex, health insurance companies, medical supply companies, and big pharma. We must throw off the yoke of business profiteering on healthcare. The CEO of McKesson, you won't know what is a McKesson, that would be something you're not familiar with. The CEO several years ago, take home pay was $148 million. That's a medical supply company. We must focus on health care, not wealth care. That is improved Medicare, comprehensive, high quality care, including dental, hearing, vision, mental health, and long term care paid through a national plan, privately delivered but paid for by our government. 
The economists repeatedly have shown that we can afford it. And the people, including an increasing number of physicians, want it. We must build a political will to demand it. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, of all the forms of inequality, injustice in healthcare is the most shocking and inhumane. We've witnessed that in the COVID pandemic. And the famous African-American orator and abolitionist Frederick Douglass said, if there is no struggle, if there is no struggle, there is no progress. Power concedes with power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did and it never will. So I ask you to answer and respond to me. What do we want? Health care. When do we want it? Now. Now. What do we want? Healthcare. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? Healthcare. When do we want it? Now. Thank you. Thank you, Garrett. And now we're going to try to organize ourselves to be able to walk to the Breonna Taylor Square and to lay flowers in her honor. Uh, she was a healer, a healthcare worker, headed to be a nurse, and tragically was taken from us. So we want to connect our struggle for healthcare with all, for justice and the end to structural racism within our healthcare system and our society. So, um, First, I'd just like to recognize the committee that put this together because a lot of people work very, very hard. And it was a small group of people. Um, one of those was Adam Romano. Yay, Adam. <laughs> one of them was Mary Radford. Yay, Mary. One of them was Harriet Seiler. Yay. And Stephen Katz. And Garrett Adams. And down front here, Antonio Wycliffe. And over there, Jill Harmer. And have I left anybody out? <laughs> and Antonio Wilson worked on it as well. So what we're, what we're planning to do, let me just ask, are any of you planning to drive your cars and caravan there? Okay, um, what we'd like to ask is if you're doing that, that you line up on 7th on the right-hand side and that you put your blinkers on and that you... Okay, mark your calendars, everybody. Kentuckians for Single-Payer Healthcare will meet in person Thursday, August the 5th, 5 p.m., in the boardroom up on the second floor of the downtown branch of the Louisville Public Library. They're at 3rd and York. For more info, go to kyhealthcare.org and don't forget to support our all-volunteer station, WFMP LP 1065. You can go to 
forwardradio.org and learn how. For Single Payer Radio, I'm Mark McKinley. The searing memories in my life is being in a children's hospital in Boston with my son who had lost his leg uh, to cancer. And he was under a regime that was going to take three days of treatment every three weeks for two years in order to be able to be in this uh, process or this system, this treatment that offered the best opportunity. And it was being paid for, since it was an experimental, by NIH. And they paid for probably the first four months that I was in uh, that uh, particular regime. And after that, it demonstrated some success and they stopped the payments. But for all the other families, they didn't have the kind of health insurance that that had. It was $3,000 for every family every three weeks. And I listened to these families who's had their children had the same kind of affliction that my child have. And they said, look, we've sold our house. We have the $30,000. We have $20,000. We're able to afford it for three months, for four months, for five months. What kind of chance does my child have to be able to survive? I knew that my child was going to have the best because I had the health insurance of the United States Senate. And I knew that no one, no parent, no parent in that hospital had the kind of coverage that I had. That kind of choice for any parent in this country is absolutely unacceptable and wrong, my friends. And I can tell you this. When every member of the United States Senate comes in and signs into the United States Senate, they signed a little card in two places. And one is their signature for their salary, and the other is for their health insurance. Their health insurance. Now, Senator Brown of Ohio, to his credit, will not accept it until the people of Ohio get it. Every other member of the United States Senate, every other member of the United States Senate has accepted it. And for the 15 times that I have fought on the floor of the United States Senate that we ought to have universal comprehensive coverage and to listen to those voices on the other side that have universal and comprehensive coverage and say, no, it is not time. We can't afford it. It's the wrong bill at the wrong time. My friends, if that health insurance is good enough for the members of the Congress of the United States and good enough for the President of the United States, it's good enough for everybody in Montgomery County, everyone in Pennsylvania, and everyone across this country. Hi, my name is Mike O'Connell. Um, feel very passionate about the concept of a single-payer health system. I think it's the only way that we in um, every state and in this country uh, can find a way to ensure that every citizen of the United States of America has adequate and competent health coverage uh, at a reasonable rate fashioned around a formula uh, that everyone can afford and everyone will be covered and it won't be just for those who have the money to be able to uh, buy the best health care they can and uh, 
I, you know, I think that a healthcare system run on profit per se and uh, with an idea of dividends, dividends to pay to shareholders is no longer workable in this, uh, this society as it's, and uh, I think worldwide. Uh, it's just not an answer and, and uh, I hope that uh, eventually we'll see this happen in Kentucky and all over the country. Good deal. Thanks, Mike.